I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim Dunnigan. Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about Mexico, Mexico today. It's uh, been in the news for all sorts of various reasons, but uh, Mexico continues to have problems with their economy. They continue to have problems with the drug cartels. Um, in some ways, it, it it's really interesting. I have, uh, as some of you know, I teach, and I have Mexican students in my classes, and I talk to them occasionally, and. Austin, it seems to be somewhat regional, some of the problems. Well, it, every region of Mexico has some sort of problem. If you're talking about the violence, well, <clears throat> some of the worst violence, at least the violence that gets uh, the media attention, is along the uh, U.S. in what we'll call a border border region because there it acts as a funnel there for moving you know, mostly illegal narcotics but not solely, illegal goods and smuggling into uh, the United States and through the United States uh, onto Canada. So you're having what are called turf war battles over <clears throat> major routes, major smuggling routes, and those are where the uh, cartel gunmen kill one another uh, and then also uh, employ uh, <laughs> threat, violence, homicide, extortion <clears throat> to scare the local population so they uh, keep quiet and uh, uh, do the bidding of the of that particular cartel and don't uh, squeal uh, to the government. Yet, some of this violence does occur in patches uh, in places uh, uh, throughout uh, uh, Mexico. Uh, <clears throat> Veracruz is not uh, in the northern border region, but Veracruz is a huge uh, uh, huge port, and it's also has been the in uh, one of the, <laughs> to say one of the more crooked states may uh, bring a smile to some uh, people's uh, faces and saying, Austin, which state in Mexico isn't crooked, but the uh, uh, past PRI governor who is, is now thought to be uh, some, hiding somewhere in, uh, in Central America is under indictment uh, for corruption and likely a connection through cartels to uh, a string of murders that uh, took place uh, in the in the state over the last uh, five six years. Many of the people murdered uh, journalists. Mexico City and Mexico State, which is in the, near the uh, uh, f- federal district, also have a via- uh, <laughs> regular uh, cartel and gang related uh, violence. And I, 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 the other thing, the, the violence. With the cartels and now even some of the gangs that are just quote unquote not particularly directly associated with the cartel, uh, they're armed with uh, sophisticated light weapons. Uh, so they've got firepower that uh, can uh, at, at least uh, meet what the uh, federal police, the federales, which are a paramilitary organization, uh, possess. So they, they do. Possess uh, uh, automatic weapons and uh, <clears throat> uh, grenades and, and and the like. They're they're they can't they can challenge, but they can't tangle with the uh, Mexican army or the Mexican Navy's uh, uh, marine uh, marine units. They're equipped as uh, modern uh, 
uh, light infantry and, in some cases, light armored in, uh, infantry forces, which is why uh, President Calderon, in December of 2006, decided to employ the military to, to, to fight the cartels. I, I didn't quite finish working across uh, the country, western uh, Mexico and the uh, uh, city of Acapulco, the uh, port of, uh, uh, I will mispronounce it, but I sometimes get it right, Manzanillo, which is in Colima State, uh, violence has gone up in, in that little state and, and it spiraled in the last uh, last three years, I think, is a, is a measure because uh, there's a, a fight over control of the seaport. And some of that has to do with a methamphetamine and other uh, drug trade, heroin, with uh, Asia, with Asia, uh, the Philippines, uh, supposed uh, Chinese gang uh, involvement. I say supposed. You get that from the Mexican media. You get that also occasionally from some of the statements you'll you'll see that are, that uh, here by uh, the security agencies in the, in the United States. So there's a turf war over a, a drug trafficking route going out through. Both Eastern and uh, Atlantic and Pacific ports uh, in, in Mexico. Now, that said, I've made it look like you know there's violence, you know, there's these hot spots all over the country. Uh, as Mexicans uh, correctly say, you know, there are plenty of places that there isn't any violence. They're right, uh, and uh, that's uh, that that's uh, uh, correct. But uh, the uh, but the places that are the hot spots, that are the uh, the, the contested tra uh, trafficking routes, uh, you the the, the violence uh, goes beyond gang on gang. And interestingly enough, when he came in, uh, when he was elected in in, uh, in 2012, the current president uh, Enrique Peña Nieto ran very much against Calderon. He, he, Calderon had militarized the war. And uh, Pena, he's, uh, that's, uh, has said, I'm going to create a gendarmerie. It was almost like he had a magical solution. I'm going to bring uh, create gendarmes. Uh, federales look a lot like, like that. They're a formed police unit. But <clears throat> this is what uh, Pena said he was going to do: French gendarmes, maybe a gendarmerie similar to the, to the one that the uh, that, Tur uh, that Turkey possesses. And uh, this was going to carry on uh, the uh, burden of the fight against the cartels. Understand, the military was for that because the military, the it's not just the, the <laughs> I'd say from the field grade on up, said this really isn't our our business. Our business is different than waging a war inside Mexico. But uh, it, Pena learned quickly that the only really reliable security institution in Mexico, which Calderon, which the reason said he employed it, was the Mexican military. Uh, Jim and I have written about this. So this is not new. Uh, but two of the most respected institutions in Mexico are the Catholic Church, and there's Mexico with its anti-clerical condition, but uh, tradition, but it's uh, uh, the Catholic Church, the most respected government institution by far, and trusted, is the Mexican military. Uh, that's there are reasons for that, despite the human rights violations that are uh, uh, that uh, have occurred, the corruption of some senior officers, and even on down to senior NCO level, some of these people are. 
uh, are, are, you'll see the prosecutions uh, uh, ongoing, but, you know, they're large institutions. They're crooked people found in every single one of them. But for the most part, the, uh, it's the, the institution is responsible, and despite the allegations you'll hear about it in the U.N., self-critical. <clears throat> and therefore, it's trusted. And uh, despite the screw-ups, it's uh, that, that, that do definitely occur. Uh, the, the military is, uh, the military is, I'm going to use a, a word that, that really incites some people here, the cleanest, uh, government security, uh, security force. And it can, when it gets in, in uh, locked in, uh, with, uh, in, a, in, in some of its security operations, it, they defeat the cartels. They defeat the cartel gunmen because the, the, uh, gunmen are, you know, they're crooks. They're not really soldiers. Uh, they're not they're not used to dealing with an orga, organized military unit that uh, is uh, going to uh, take the uh, take the battle to you. Uh, the problem is is that there's only so much Mexican trained me- uh, Mexican military a uh, number of me- Mexican military forces that s- can secure some of these areas. So they end up running between uh, Michoacan State, Tamaulipas. Which is uh, on the Texas uh, Mexico. Uh, that's a state of Texas Mexico border. They're, they're ongoing military police operations, and I think in both cases they're still commanded by Mexican army generals uh, that are trying to essentially pacify those uh, uh, those two uh, two states. And the irony is that Michoacan in the state was the uh, state that the cart that Calderon first employed the military in, in, in December of 2006 when his strategy page coined the name, we may have done it in January 2007, the cartel war, because uh, Calderon said, well, we may not want to look at it that way, but I'm uh, concerned that uh, the these uh, drug gangs are carving out duchies as they did in Colombia. And with that, Dan, after giving you <laughs> a detailed tour, uh, really over the last 10 years of, of violence uh there i'll turn it over to jim because uh, he can handle the columbia comparison jim yeah the uh one thing to keep in mind here and we and we point this out in our reporting is that what's happening in mexico and and columbia uh and many other parts of the world is common uh throughout the world uh even the soviet union uh the cia knew this uh, during the cold war I knew it because we used to argue about it uh, privately, offline, unofficially. Uh, the, uh, the, the KGB used uh, criminal gangs, uh, which were run for mostly by Chechens, but that's another story, um, uh, to do their dirty, dirty work. I mean, there are some things even the KGB didn't want to, you know, uh, get, you know, uh, get their hands dirty with. Um, uh, and all the countries that have a lot of money. For one reason or another, be it Afghanistan, uh, where it's drugs, um, the uh, Nigeria, where it's oil, uh, and Mexico, where it's a lot of things, mainly, you know, uh, natural resource, oil, you know, minerals and what have you. Uh, Colombia was drugs. Um, the, uh, the corruption is often uh, aided and abetted by criminal gangs and corrupt officials. Uh, and that's one reason why the Mexican military didn't want to get involved in fighting the cartels, because they knew that there's a lot of money involved. And although the military is very proud of its honor, as it were, you know, in not 
being corrupted by, you know, like the Federalists and anybody else who gets involved. They knew that some of their members would, and it would reflect poorly on the military, on, on morale in general. And that's why, as, as Austin puts it, they're, they're self-critical. If they do find a dirty officer or NCO or whatever, they will jump all over him and he's gone. Disgrace. I mean, they make a big deal about that. That he doesn't get into the newspapers a lot, but Jim, what Jim, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's absolutely true, what he just said. And, and the thing is, it, it's, it, it's the case everywhere else in the world. The, the big difference in Mexico is the military was uh, much cleaner than militaries in many other parts of the world. As we, as we report constantly and we point out about China, corruption in the military is the norm. Uh, in throughout history, uh, and uh, but there are a lot of modern militaries which set themselves aside. I mean, they they may be guilty of all sorts of things eventually, like happened in Argentina where they got corrupted by power. Um, but the military, you know, that's uh, I guess you might say it's an America's thing, you know, not just the United States, uh, where until you know quite recently, office well until I guess maybe thirty forty years ago, officers as a point of pride. You know, professional and career officers didn't vote. They said, no, we're separate from politics. That's still holding, but obviously it came under serious strain, you know, in the last 10 years or so. Um, and uh, in countries where there is a, uh, a, a corruption, massive corruption of the uh, civil service and the, uh, and the police, um, uh, the military basically doesn't want to get involved, if at all possible. And now that they are involved, I mean, as Austin points out, they are the go-to force, but there's not a lot of them. Um, and that was the same deal in Colombia, where the military was relatively, you know, clean, and it got cleaner as as the as the war against the uh, the drug gangs and the and the drug uh, the and the, the leftist rivals and the drug gangs went on. Uh, the military actually said, no, no, we are a beacon of light, as it were, <laughs> in this in this in this country, which had basically undergone. More than 50 years of war, um, but that's a problem throughout uh, throughout uh, uh, the third world, as it were, developing world. The, uh, countries that are basically crippled by the lack of a rule of law, and and uh, as as that uh, Peruvian uh, economist DeSoto pointed out, that was in the 80s, Austin. Uh, I, the, th- I uh, think El Otrove was published in Spanish in 84, 85, an English version. Comes out about eighty seven, eighty eight. The other path. That, yeah, he, what, yeah. he, he basically pointed out the problem, in, the economic problem, and political problem in, in in Latin America is is lack of a rule of law and property rights. And this, this of course, as again as Austin has pointed out, drove the leftists crazy because they wanted to eliminate all property rights. Uh, but that's basically what makes the the Western world. The industrialized world, whether they're in the West or in Japan or whatever, uh, clear title to property, uh, whether it be real estate or business or. But in, in Central America, the biggest you know asset a lot of people have is property, and that's what that's what delayed the uh, the the uh, the signing off of the uh, the peace deal in in Colombia was uh, there was a large you know rural population that said, hey, wait a minute. You know, during this, this, this 20 years of cocaine wars, we lost our property, literally, you know, that, that we in some cases had title to. But, you know, when when the uh, when the government is is uh, is dispossessed by the the local you know drug gang, uh, you know, uh, a piece of paper doesn't mean what it used to. But this is the problem in Mexico. And, and it's very pertinent to most Americans right now 
because uh, our current, our new president, uh, I don't know if he understands this. I mean, he hasn't come out. He basically <laughs> plays his cards close to his vest, which makes his political opponents nervous. Um, and uh, but, you know, he, he's he's obviously dealt in property rights all his life. I mean, that's his business. So he knows how important that is. He's worked in he's worked in foreign countries, including Mexico. So I'm sure he knows how tricky the situation is down there. Uh, and that is the and he might have even have read the Soto, you know, in the translation. Um, but that is the key problem in Mexico. And the Mexican government doesn't like to talk about it, even though the since what pre got knocked out in 2000. Was that when they lost their? Oh their, yeah, when well, yeah. Charlie Fox yeah. got yeah. Now the, 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 the pre the Revolutionary Party that basically put the country back together again around the time of World War One, early in the century, Pancho Villa and all that. Um, it was at a, it was at a heavy cost because it meant one party rule, and they became totally corrupt. And a lot of the gang warfare you hear about in Mexico has been there for generations, except when the when the pre was in power, it was organized. In other words, they, they basically the gangs paid, uh, you know, a fee, as it were. They paid protection money to the government. They said, let's do business together. And and the media was made to understand that if they wanted to stay in business, they keep their mouths shut. Uh, but. As, as again, we, uh, Austin pointed out in his reporting, the, the violence in Mexico was, was restricted. I think it was like only to what, what, uh, three or four percent of the country, most of it, the vast, vast majority of it, because that's where most of the money was. And it wasn't just, uh, it was mostly drugs because drugs were the hot new product. And it wasn't just drugs coming in from South America. A lot of it was, you know, uh, you know, cocaine. And although heroin, you can grow poppies in Mexico, but it's it's a, it's trickier but for other for various reasons. But anyway, um, they uh, but they, you know uh, I think as in that Breaking Bad TV series, they pointed out that Mexicans quickly became very big in the amphetamine business because they could they could set up they could they could get away with setting up big labs um, that didn't have to be big secrets in Mexico and just you know get the stuff across the border. Uh, but even without that. Uh, and this has been, we've reported this, uh, the gangs were also involved in, uh, the oil, you know, the corrupt, the corruption in the, in the oil industry, where it's incredibly corrupt. Uh, and of course, and any natural resources, if there's a mine, uh, that's exporting something, uh, if there's, if there's lumbering, you name it, the gangs will get involved. Uh, and unless you make a concerted effort to, to stomp down on the gangs, which is what they did in the Philippines, which is what they did in the uh, uh, in, in in Colombia. Uh, uh, unless you make those businesses, you know, not less corrupt, as it were, and controlled by criminal uh, gangs who often look seek out, you know, uh, links to to politicians. If they can't buy them, they make deals. Um, they, uh, you know, the, the, the businesses will will always be uh, limited. Uh, and, and indeed, that's what's happening in, in Pakistan right now. We reported this. The um, the Chinese have said in no uncertain terms, unless the Pakistanis protect Chinese interests in Pakistan, they're not going to continue with this $50 billion investment they're making to open up a communications channel. I mean, both, you know, road, rail and then fiber optic, you know, from uh, China into the down to the uh, the uh, the coast. Uh, a new port they're literally building, Guaidar, near the Iranian border. Uh, the Iranians are doing the same thing. 
it's Afghanistan because Afghanistan has always been dependent upon uh, access, uh, outside access, they're landlocked, to Pakistan, which gets more and more corrupt. So you can see where it's the criminal activity which limits your economic uh, prospects. And a lot of people don't like to uh, acknowledge that. I mean, the, the local governments don't because they're, they're the corrupt governments are the ones who are making all the money off it. Uh, and that's what happened. For example, we pointed out, you know, uh, early on in our reporting on Iraq, going back to before 2003, that Saddam stayed in power by making deals with the criminal gangs. I don't know if you learned that from the Russians or it's probably goes back longer than that because the ancient Romans had a similar problem. So did the, uh, and that, and that actually they may have gotten that from the Greeks. Uh, I, you know, street, I think they got gang. it from the Sumerians. I mean, that's, uh, well, yeah. you're right. It, go, it, it goes way back, but the Romans, of course, the modern mafia can trace all of its, you know, customs and rituals back to the Roman Republic. They call them societies, uh, the criminal societies. And they all belong to one political party or another. And as long as they serve their political master, they, they were free to plunder. Well, you've heard stories about it. it's almost become you know, folklore in the West. And it's, it's true that the Chinese gangs, the triads, uh, what have you, which were largely wiped out in communist China for a while, but now they're coming back. Uh, uh, they basically are willing to make deals as long as they're allowed to, you know, go ahead with their things. Japanese are most famous with the Yakuza, who are literally, you know, organized as a, as a semi-governmental, you know, uh, department, uh, as long as they obey the rules. Um, and the only two outlaws are the basically the Ronin, you know, the, the, the renegade Yakuza. But that's that's something else. But anyway, it's true in all countries. And it's basically not a matter of who's better, you know, but who's worse. The countries who are better able to control their corruption uh, are the ones who are going to prosper. And if you look at the transparency, uh, you know, uh, uh, international rankings of corruption, which we which we refer to every year, um, you'll see that there's a very strong correlation uh, between the uh, the level of corruption and the lack of economic development. And that's the problem Mexico has. Now, the whole business with the, uh, the, uh, the, the illegal migration, it wasn't a problem until the 20th century. And, you know, the United States, you know, it was in the 20th century that the United States became the world superpower, the most affluent. Or as I point out, I did the, I did the numbers years ago and I realized from 1900 on, the United States created more jobs than any other country in the world. And that's what was attracting people to America. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I lived in a, uh, my dad ran a saloon in a, in a, in a, in a uh, working class migrant neighborhood. And I used to talk to some of the old timers, the Italians especially. And they said some of them had gone back, you know, they, they, after the war, they realized they could retire on their social security and live like a king back in Italy, but they were considered Americanos, even though they going back to their original village. They didn't speak the language the same. They had different habits and what have you. And basically, a lot of Italians were jealous. Said, well, how did you make? How did you do so well over there? And he said, "Well, you know, we put we put we put politicians in jail." And they said, "What?" And so, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them are still in business, but basically, it's a big deal in America uh, to to go after and prosecute and 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 basically convict and, and put in jail corrupt politicians. Now, we don't do it nearly enough, which is one thing that keeps us going. But that's something that foreigners that, that got back to them. It, the democracy was something that, you know, they, people could take or leave, as, as we're finding out um, over the years. But uh, they realized that uh, you basically 
could get a fair deal. And if you go back in ancient history, that's what the Romans brought. The Romans were corrupt, but they worshipped the idea of civic virtue. And uh, historians like to report things that are that are more exciting, you know, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you know, angle. And they they report a lot about you know the corruption. What they don't report is the fact that when the Romans conquered a territory, they pacified it with justice. In other words, they said, all right, you can use your own laws, but we're going to have Roman judges or judges who are accountable to the Roman council, the, you know, the governor. Um, and, uh, and, and the locals realized that, hey, you know, we, we're, we're better off with these Roman judges than with the ones that, you know, we, we had for so long. Same thing happened. That's one reason why the, the British were had such an easy time conquering India. Uh, they basically said, you know, it's the same thing with the Norman conquest. The Normans brought in the king's law, which basically allowed someone to appeal, uh, you know, uh, in the courts, not because they had a cousin who was the Duke of so-and-so, um, you know, an injustice. And this is something that, you know, goes back to Robin Hood and all the folklore, but it was true. And this was one reason why the Industrial Revolution took off in first Britain and then the United States and throughout Europe. The Germans, even though they had a, a, a monarchy up until 1918, uh, they basically inherited a what they call a responsible monarchy. In other words, the ones that depended upon a honest civil service to get things done. That's what Peter the Great did in Russia. Uh, it didn't take as well there, but basically the idea was uh, if you want to uh, advance, you have to serve the czar. And by serving the czar means uh, getting the job done. And to get the job done, you got to be basically uh, – a lot more honest than in the old days where everything was for sale. So this is a pattern that exists not only worldwide, but throughout history. And a lot of people just don't know about it. So if they want to find out how it, it works, you know, here, you know, just come to the strategy page because that's how we do it. I mean, give you another example, which I think is pertinent. Uh, I get for years, I was called down to the CIA to lecture the, uh, the new analysts, as it were, on various techniques which are unclassified, and especially when the web came out, you know, it was open source intelligence and what have you. And the one thing I'll, I'll never forget pointing out, and Al helped me out with this, he had a, a high school exchange student one year when I was down there visiting. You might have met her. She was from um, Georgia in, in the Caucasus. And uh, she spoke very good English, and I chatted with her for a bit, and I asked her, I said, well, what about the uh, – you know, the, 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 uh, the gangs. I, anyway, it came up so, somehow it came up that she said, oh no, it's all about the gangs and the money. And so when, when the CIA analyst asked me specifically, well, how do we, how do we cover the Caucasus and, and Alec Georgia? I just follow the money. Now I didn't give out any names, you know, and then say how I made that connection. But I said, you, you'll find that a lot of the problems stem from money, stem from illegal money. And I says, you know, and I says, old hands in the agency. Well, most of them have been turfed out by the church commission, but that's another story. Um, they, you know, uh, it's still the case that if you want to find out, you know, uh, who is really pulling the strings, uh, it's some corrupt entity that doesn't want a lot of publicity. Uh, it's often a criminal gang uh, or clans, as it were, in places like Georgia or throughout the Caucasus. Uh, and this still applies. And I later found out, you know, that the grapevine that, yeah, they, they pursued that angle in Georgia. They said, holy shit. Yeah, it's worse than we thought. Because Americans, by and large, we're raised in a culture 
where that sort of hanky-panky doesn't exist. Or it doesn't exist to the extent it does in other countries. And that was something that a lot of American soldiers and CIA operatives going over to the Middle East uh, got their faces rubbed in. I mean, the special forces are trained. They're told about these incredible things that go on in the countries. They're learning these languages and what have you. And that's one reason why the uh, the uh, special forces like to send their troops over to help train people in these other countries. Because then they see it up close and personal. They say, holy crap, they were right. Because they can talk the language. And they get told stories by the guys they're training. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, but i got to pay off so-and-so if I want to send my kid to college, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so – the problem in Mexi- with Mexico is in Mexico, and I think that's what upsets the Mexican government more than anything else, that Trump is going to – his new policy of making the Mexicans pay. What it, what it brings out is how dependent the Mexican government is on these remittances, mostly from illegal migrants, uh, who, again, the United States was, was uh, responsible because we passed laws. Most Americans said, no, no. We we got to control immigration. We always have Ellis Island control immigration. You know, they, we didn't always let anybody in. Uh, you know, this is nothing new. But in the 20th century, the United States became such a ideal place for people from around the world to go to, uh, with you know, Europe being second best and, and England obviously being uh, for the same reasons, being you know the next best in the United States with Australia and what have you. You know, there was all those countries who inherited the the strong idea that rule of law is the foundation of whatever we have in terms of, you know, especially, you know, uh, economic progress. Um, and, and of course, these countries do not want to make a big thing about this. But, you know, Trump is, is dragging it out into the sunlight but saying, of course, I can pay for it. You know, we got billions of dollars going back to um, uh uh, you know, to Mexico each year, and we can levy a heavy tax on that. For example, I think one state, I think it was Oklahoma, uh, they levied a tax on remittances, which could be written off on your on your on your tax returns, knowing full well that the majority of it was by people who were here illegally and weren't filing taxes. Uh, so, you and know, then, hey, Jim, give the give the figure the the, the latest oh, 20, fig- 20, 25 billion dollars. That's it's, right. It's more foreign currency than Mexico gets from its oil exports, which which could be larger, you know, if they if it, if it wasn't so crippled by corruption. But that's an, again, Austin. Well, they're they're, they're they're close. I think there was 22 or 23 billion in, in oil exports, but more coming in in remittances and overwhelmingly from the United States is where that was. Yeah. So, uh, so the, the, the other thing so, is is Australia and Canada. Share the same, you know, uh, honest judiciary tradition uh, coming out, out, out of the uh, out of Great Britain, but it's as the, as the United States. But they also have restrictive immigration. Oh, uh, very restrictive. That's why that's why I titled your latest Mexico update "Blame Canada." Uh, you know, not, not so much a, a you know a, a reference to that that movie, whatever it was. That uh, uh, I, I, I got Trump it. Jim. I got yeah, it. I know a lot of people did get it. They do get that, but basically. Uh, Canada, you know, uh, if we simply enforced our, our, our border security the way Canada did, we'd be doing, you know, more than, you know, what the, the Trump is talking about. Uh, and uh, and everybody be a lot better off, except for Mexico. Mexico would have to confront its own demons a, a, instead of exporting its problems to the United States and then profiting from them by the remittances. People will look after their families. They'll send all those billions back. Um, uh, but that doesn't work. 
if, uh, if, if, if the United States enforces its border security. And that's something the Mexican government doesn't want to have to deal with. And they well, there's, there's, there's one other thing, and, and I'm, we're going to have to. Yeah, we're over. <laughs> I know we're over time on this. But, uh, uh, you know, you wonder what the illegal remittances are in the, in the uh, drug war. And we've gotten Jim and I disagree on, on certain things about the, uh, the, the uh, drug war legalization and, 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 and like. But there's there's also that uh, that component. It's a, there's no doubt that the United States and Mexico have with there's so much in common common security interest common trade uh, common trade uh, interest and that's something that shouldn't be lost in this uh in this discussion i don't think it is i think the press tends to lose it i think right. most people don't uh, are, are are very aware of it so all right well we'll wrap it up there after you guys have uh, hurt my brain and made me <laughs> want to think about a lot so uh we'll uh, stop right there and we'll see you next time Take Indeed. care. Bye. 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 Bye.